You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts, while the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. We are back. It's a discussion episode. I'm Aaron Fishman with Lauren Lee Chen. We'll be talking about the Orlando Magic in the opening segment. It's sad what's happened to them. They started the season 19 and 13. We're one of the league's best stories with their entire core, essentially, uh, if we don't include Channing Fry, under 25 years old or younger. They were doing big things. I think they were up to fifth in the Eastern Conference standings. They're dropping quickly. Bringing you in now, Lauren, we talked with Zach Oliver on Thursday. What was your biggest takeaway in that interview as to why they're struggling so badly all of a sudden? I think part of it is a regression to the mean. Obviously, the 19 and 13 start was a little bit unexpected, and probably they were playing a little bit better than their actual abilities signified, and that is a little bit due to the Scott Skiles getting their young players on the same page as we alluded to in the interview. Also, since then, they've had injury problems. Their offense, as Zach was saying, has a tendency to get stagnant at the end of games. They don't have a lot of good jump shooters, especially at the guard positions. And there's some lack of synergy between their players that they rely on to give big contributions. So all of that combined is, I think, what leads to the type of slide you've seen them go on in January. Yeah, Victor Oladipo is one guy, another very talented young player. He's shown flashes. He's been really good early on in his career, and maybe not the most consistent. That was one of Zach Oliver's criticisms of him, particularly from the perimeter. But he's had a very good individual month in January. It hasn't translated into wins, though. He's shooting over 50% from three-point range, 17.4 points per game, 46.4% from the field. Do you think maybe he should go back to coming off the bench since they're they're just not winning right now with him as a starter yeah I think part of the reason for that type of phenomenon is I'm not sure how well Oladipo and Peyton mesh together as Oladipo is really someone who needs the ball in his hands a lot he'll do good things for you if you give him the ball so that he can work and drive to the hoop when he needs to and take isolation shots when he needs to but for a player like Alfred Payton to do well, he he's best at facilitating the offense from the point guard position, obviously, because he's not a good shooter, so he needs to play the floor general type of role. In terms of whether the Magic should bring Oladipo off the bench, in terms of winning games, I think they should have at least went with that experiment a little bit longer because it seems like it was working for them. And one reason for the shift between the good start and the bad January was switching Oladipo back into the starting lineup. But as Zach Oliver said, it seemed like Oladipo did not take well to the, his new role off the bench. He, he seemed like he deserved more of a important role on this team. And 
I think for this young Magic team, the wins might not necessarily matter as much as keeping your future stars happy and happy with the organization. Yeah, you have to buy in, though, too. That's important. And and I think that's kind of what you were alluding to just now and, and what Zach was talking about also, that Victor Oladipo needs to put on a, a brave face and do what's asked of him, what's expected of him, whatever role that may be in order to get wins. And I'm just going off of what Zach said. I obviously don't know. I haven't been behind the scenes or talked to Victor about that at all, about his role. But yeah, there are clearly some issues. Oladipo, as I said, this month, he's lighting it up from three-point range. But the problem is not a lot of other players on the team are. And because of that, their offense has suffered. They're not really spacing the floor as well as they are. It's easier for defenders to collapse in on Vucevic. And we've seen it. Their offense has taken a a huge drop-off. It's the worst offensive rating in the league, right? In January. January. And the second worst net rating. Yeah, not not good. But Channing Frye is one guy that, at least according to my deep dive into their team lineup stats, I was looking at the four-man lineups and... In wins, Channing Fry plays more than he does in losses by a difference of about five minutes per game. So that's that's one potential clue of his impact on the team. But also, if you look at all the top four-man lineups that include Channing Fry, and I'm talking about the ones that are at least 300, 350 minutes, which I don't think is that small of a sample size halfway into the season, we're seeing that the offensive lineups with Channing Fry are better. They're usually around 106, 107 offensive rating, and the ones without Channing Fry are 99 around there. So I can't just pretend to know the dynamics of the team just based on those advanced stats right there. But I think there is something to be said for having the veteran on the court with the young players, helping them space the floor. I, I think, what do you have to lose at this point when you've gone 1-12 to start January? What do you think about that? Yeah, well, I'm always a little bit wary of using lineup stats, especially when they go so far against what your eye test tells you. Zach Oliver was very negative about Channing Fry on the show. Yeah, especially on the defensive end. Right, and the thing about lineup stats, you mentioned some of those lineups have over 300 minutes. That's decent, but still a lot of those can be somewhat situational. When players typically play, play it, whether it's against starters or bench players, also especially with a team like Orlando that had such a stark difference between their early season and their late season type of play. And maybe that was because of the lessened role of Channing Fry in these last few games, moving him to the bench. But as you said, he's a stretch four. He can hit the three. That's mainly his role right now. And on a team with not a lot of shooters, just having someone who's a threat to shoot threes, I think, should be a good thing for your offense. It'll at least give the defense something more to pay attention to. So in that sense, I think the lessened reliance on Fry, in the offense at least, it makes sense why that would hurt the offense. You were talking about how it's situational, and you are right to an extent, but a lot of these four-man lineups that I'm looking at have starters in them. Like, for instance, the the most common one 
is Vucevic, Tobias Harris, and Fournier with Channing Fry. And that one um, was 106 offensive rating. It was 102.2 defensive rating, not great. But um, the next most used four-man lineup, which has logged 381 minutes, has Fry, Tobias Harris, Peyton, and Vucevic. And that defensive rating was 97.8. And Fry and Vucevic were two players who can't defend a chair, according to Zach Oliver. So, And I'm not saying he's wrong. I think the imagery is kind of funny, but even though Channing Fry is getting up there a little bit in age, he's not really that old just compared to everyone else on this team, but he's never been the quickest defender. I get that. I just, I don't see that much of a drop off defensively, at least in the statistics. And I think that the increase you see offensively, it's, it's worth the shot of trying. I want to get back to what you were saying though about how it, the wins might not necessarily be as important as the players just staying happy with the organization and, and staying invested. I think that's true. But also, I think that they need to get in the habit of winning. This is this is a bad habit for young players to get into, getting accustomed to, to playing on a losing team. They've lost so many overtime games and so many close games that, you yeah, you kind of expect it from a young team, but still, it, it sets a... a terrible tone going forward I'm not saying they need to make the playoffs they probably won't and I don't think they need to at this stage they're so young it's just you don't want to lose 90 plus percent of your games this is just a horrible stretch hopefully it doesn't have lingering effects Aaron Gordon very young guy he's in his second season but he battled injuries during his rookie year so some people are saying that his development's going too slowly. Now he's he's in the starting lineup for the first time this season. What's your assessment of him and his progression? First of all, I think it's somewhat ridiculous to say that a player's development is going too slowly. Only a year and a half into his NBA career. Also, he just turned 20 in September, which makes him actually younger than a lot of rookies this season. The biggest comparison for... Aaron Gordon that people saw when the Magic drafted him was Blake Griffin, and a lot of that is because of his build and his athleticism. Aaron Gordon has shown a lot of improvement since he came into the league, especially on the defensive end and the rebounding end. He's shown himself to be more than capable on both of those aspects. His jump shot is still coming along, but I think for someone his size, that's to be expected. Usually that's developed a little bit later in the career than this, in the first and second years. So there are promising things about Aaron Gordon, and I wouldn't give up on him just yet. I wouldn't say he's... Um, I, I don't think even close. I think three years from now, maybe people can start giving up on him if he hasn't developed. But I think there's a worry about those type of players, your Blake Griffin types, they have a tendency to go either really well or really poorly. It also reminds you of someone like Stromel Swift or something who is drafted really high and touted for his athleticism, but never really panned out. And maybe that's a work ethic issue. But for Aaron Gordon, I've never heard anything about how he doesn't work hard or doesn't try to improve. So that's what you like to see in a young player. I'm looking at his career stats. He's played 91 career NBA games. That's essentially one season. It's a little more than one season. You're exactly right. He's 20 years old, and 
he turned 20 in September. He's not going to be 21 for a while. So it's way too early to say. I just don't know if he should be starting at this point. But, I mean, the wins aren't the most important thing. So I don't think it really matters. If it's beneficial to his development, then that's great. And you mentioned Blake Griffin. He's not Blake Griffin. There's many comparisons that are valid. But for people, even if you're the fourth overall pick, for fans to reasonably expect him to just play his first game and all of a sudden be an 18 points per game scorer or whatever Griffin was, I think that that's just unreasonable, unrealistic. Yeah, about putting him in the starting lineup, I think part of that is also trying to get him more repetitions with their other core group players like Peyton and Oladipo and Vucevic so that they can mesh together as a group for the future. I think that's a really good point. That's important. Really, he's just one of many very young, promising guys that Scott Skiles has the honor, but also the challenge of coaching. And so it's going to be interesting for Skiles. Before we close out uh, this segment, I want to ask you, what is a guy like Scott Skiles, who's very intense, he's shown um, some lighter moments recently in this losing stretch, which is good to see because he'll just go crazy if he stays that intense and they keep losing. But what does he have to do more broadly the rest of this season to help salvage it, even if they don't make the playoffs, just to have these young guys start feeling better about the season? As you mentioned earlier on in the show, you don't want these young guys, even though winning might not necessarily matter too much to the team, in terms of making the playoffs this year. You don't want these young guys getting used to the idea of losing. I think competitiveness and competitive spirit is a skill that can be grown as much as any other skill. And when you think about the all-time greats, one thing they all have in common is that they were very competitive. They hate losing. So for these young teams, you don't want them to get used to the idea of losing and just think that even if you play a close game if you you don't make it through then that's okay you want them to feel bad about losses and when you go through a stretch like this like the magic's january where they've gone one and twelve each of those losses weigh on you less and less so just for skiles i think that's his biggest challenge having to keep the team morale up and also keep the young players competitive even though they're going through struggles yeah definitely the young players can't get complacent if they want to achieve their goal it's always a pleasure talking basketball with you lauren and we can't thank zach enough for coming on the show earlier in the week it was a lot of fun we talked about blake griffin briefly in the first segment we'll be talking more about you know what relating to blake griffin in the next segment and some all-star so-called snubs we'll be right back Welcome back. 
A big story last weekend was an incident involving Blake Griffin, star forward for the Los Angeles Clippers. While the Clippers were in Toronto, he went out to dinner with equipment manager Matthias Testi, who's also a friend of Griffin and Jordan and all of those guys. And apparently they got into an altercation that resulted in Blake Griffin punching Testi in the face and breaking his hand. The Clippers expected to be out about four to six weeks and possibly up to two months. Aaron, what's your reaction after this incident? It's so dumb from Griffin's perspective. He's so important to the team. Regardless of what people are going to say, it's a misnomer to say that they're better without Griffin. Their really strong record since he's been injured, he had a calf injury that he was about to come back from, is misleading because they've played so many subpar teams. And they are playing well. J.J. Reddick, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Jordan have all been phenomenal. But you can't replace a guy like Blake Griffin. He's one of the best passing big men in the league. He's so quick and athletic. He's able to keep the ball moving quickly, grab a rebound, go end-to-end. And you just can't replace that. He's a transformational player. And you didn't say this in the intro, but he not only did he punch him inside the restaurant, as the reports are saying. He also chased him outside, punched him again. It's just sad and unfortunate. Apparently, they've talked to each other. They're on okay terms. And Griffin feels horrible for what he did to the team. But that doesn't make it okay. He's put his teammates in a horrible position. And four to six weeks is optimistic. If we're being more conservative about it, it could be probably closer to seven or eight. Because this is his shooting hand. So they're just, they're going to have to bide their time and and continue to do well without him. But as the schedule gets tougher, they're going to have to do their best to hang on to a top four seed. The Western landscape is tough. Memphis is is doing really well behind them. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, obviously, as you mentioned, you can't replace a player like Blake Griffin, but it's so important for the Clippers to stay afloat in this Western Conference, try to get home court in the first round at least. So without him for the next month and a half to two months, and especially now that the Clippers just traded away Josh Smith, how are they going to stay afloat for that amount of time? JJ Reddick's been on fire from three-point range. DeAndre Jordan stepped it up, but Chris Paul has just been all-world lately. And when you have a guy like that on your team who is just able to control the game, that's why they've been winning so many close games. I think that's largely attributed to having Chris Paul on their roster. I thought after the incident, when they were at Indiana and at Atlanta, that they would lose one or both of those. And probably that one of those, at least, they would get blown out. They ended up winning each of those games by two points. And I think that can largely be attributed to Chris Paul. But the biggest thing that I'm worried about is when Blake Griffin comes back, let's just say, just conservative estimate, that he only has a month before the playoffs start to round into form. When you're coming back from a hand injury, you haven't been able to really shoot that much in your time off. So he's going to have to get his jump shot back clicking where it was because they are so much better when... Teams have to respect his mid-range shot. That opens up the lane for him. That opens up the big man lob to DeAndre Jordan. That opens up the three for J.J. Redick. There are just so many offensive possibilities when he's hitting his jumper. I worry that a month may not be enough time for him to round into shape. 
But then again, he's an amazing athlete and he's very talented. It's possible. It'll just be a challenge. That 16 to 20 footer that Blake Griffin has developed, especially this season, is a huge reason why the Clippers have been doing so well. He's probably the best forward at the league at that shot, in my opinion. Maybe but, Anthony Davis, too. Yeah, but moving on to the other news of this week, the All-Star Reserves were announced earlier this week. And the popular thing to do around this time, obviously, is to talk about the players that were left off the team. In my opinion, the teams were generally correct. There's not a lot of spots and a lot of players. So who do you think are the best players that were left off, Aaron? Well, first, I want to say that we agree with each other too much, but snubs is not the right word for it because there's just not enough spots. And Tyron Lue's crazy for saying that Kevin Love was snubbed. I know he has to stick up for his guy, but frankly, Kevin Love's not having a very good season, particularly the last month and a half or so. Damian Lillard, though, such a great season. I don't know if there were necessarily spots open for him. I would have been fine with him having LaMarcus Aldridge's spot. But he's averaging, I think, about 24.7, 24.5 points per game. And they lost 80% of their starting lineup. McCollum's been huge for them, but he's the guy that makes it all go. Dirk Nowitzki could have got a legacy spot, but also he's having a great season. DeAndre Jordan and Redick from the Clippers, just phenomenal years. Rondo has resurrected his career. He's leading the next guy in assists by more than two per game. Pau Gasol in the East. Porzingis has come on, but a little bit late. I could go on and on. The, the point being that pretty much none of these guys were snubbed, with the exception of maybe one. There's just not enough spots. And that doesn't mean that we can't celebrate these guys for having amazing first halves of the season. They've all been really strong. I'll just respond to a couple of the guys whose name, Damian Lillard in particular, I think is the biggest name that people keep bringing up. As you mentioned, he's scoring 24 points per game. He's also averaging over seven assists per game. I saw that this would make him the first person averaging those numbers in the last 20 years to not make the All-Star game, which is hard to think about. But then again, it's also, there are deserving people who made the team over him that it's hard to find someone who you would really take off in favor of him. A likely candidate would be Aldridge or maybe a Clay Thompson or even Anthony Davis. But all of those players are on really good teams and they're giving good contribution for those teams. Sorry, but, sorry, just to interrupt. You said Anthony Davis was all on a really good team, but he's, he's just really good individually. Yeah, I meant Clay Thompson and Aldridge are on good Completely. teams. Completely agreed. Yeah, just you're right. Those two are on historically good teams. And so it's hard to quibble with one of those two guys not making it or making it. But yeah, Aldridge's numbers, at least offensively, just aren't there. So I guess that's the argument. Yeah, another guy who you mentioned is DeAndre Jordan. I think not as many people have been talking about him as someone who possibly could have made the team that was left off. But you look at his contribution to the Clippers, especially with Blake Griffin out. And I have two points to make about DeAndre Jordan. First is that a knock on him offensively is that his main offensive contribution is just only in dunks. But I don't think it's out of line to say that he's the best at that in the NBA. And his defender has to pay so much attention to that on the offense that it makes it difficult for the defender to help off in any way against drives, which just opens up the Clippers offense so much. It really does, yeah. 
My second point is that I think this is possibly a little bit of a backlash against Doc Rivers is constantly talking up DeAndre Jordan's <laughs> skills so much and probably over-talking it. I think when that happens, people have a tendency to try to prove him wrong and try to nitpick sort of, and try to undervalue the things that DeAndre Jordan does well. But I think skills-wise, he's the same type of player in a different role for the Clippers that I think a Dr- Andre Drummond type would be. Before we close, I just want to say about Jordan, I think he's actually a little overrated defensively just because sometimes his instincts aren't there. He falls for pump fakes. and some parts of games, he just doesn't pr- protect the rim as well as he should for a guy of his size and athleticism. But yeah, even if he's really only dunking or or making short hooks and short shots, he is a nightmare defensively for teams. He's just so athletic that if you take your eye off him for a second, he'll dunk it on you. And when you have Paul as your teammate, it's just so hard to stop. And he's stepped up his scoring in the absence of Blake Griffin. When Cole Aldrich is your next best big man, you know that the onus is on him to keep the team rolling and playing well. And he's made the most of it. But it's not a sexy pick, really, picking a guy that's only averaging 11.8 points per game, even if he is averaging almost 14 rebounds a night. Yeah, but DeAndre Jordan in an All-Star game would be so exciting to watch because you know he'd get loose for at least a few really high-flying, highlight-reel type dunks. So Yeah, yeah. But as we said, there are so many talented players in this league that it's hard to take issue, really, with anyone who made the team. None of the selections were wildly undeserved, and at the end of the day, it's just meant to be an exhibition, so nothing worth getting too worked up about. That'll be it for us this week. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on whatever podcast service you use, iTunes, Stitcher, whatever. Just search for On the NBA Beat, and while you're there, if you like the show, leave us a rating. That really helps us out. As always, you can also follow us on Twitter or on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you on either of those platforms. Next week, we're excited to bring on Conrad Kazmarek to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers. You definitely don't want to miss that show. Thanks for listening. Thank you.